We're a few months into the COVID-19 vaccine rollout, but who's getting them? And does the distrust of the American healthcare system in our communities prevent us from getting vaccinated? Hey, it's that favorite time of day. Another episode of Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Don Eubanks, Associate Professor of Social Work at Metropolitan State University and Cultural Consultant. Hi, I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General for the state of Minnesota. Any comments and concerns that I raise are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my office or to the state of Minnesota. I'm Anthony Galloway, Senior Partner at the Dendros Group and Executive Director of the Arts Us Center for the African Diaspora. And I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group. And this evening, we have a special guest with us, um, and I'd like to uh, have him uh, introduce himself, uh, Mr. Ruben Moore. Hello, I'm, I'm Ruben Moore, President and Executive Officer of Minnesota Community Care. I am also uh, a member of the Minnesota Department of Health COVID-19 Advisory Committee to the Governor. Uh, excited to be on this call. I, I pride myself, most importantly, as being a father, a, a BIPOC community member, uh, uh, and a servant, right? a servant of people uh, in their journeys to uh, be better people. And so uh, I, I'm happy to be participating on this call today. Well, thank you, Ruben. You know, it, it's amazing how this works out for us here at Counter Stories, because I believe tonight we were going to, we decided that we're going to talk about uh, vaccinations, uh, speaking about COVID-19. And I know that, you know, we've talked about this subject two or three other times on on other parts of our, of our uh, podcast. And I know that... Um, when the vaccinations uh, were first beginning to roll out, that one of the discussions we had at that time was, um, I think, a lot of the misinformation and also the historical context for many communities of color uh, having um, horrendous experiences with, uh, with our medical systems going back to Tuskegee and the in the uh, uh, syphilis experiment where they experimented on unknowingly on black patients and uh, allowing them to contract syphilis and then not treating them so that they could see the progression of that disease. Uh, we have instances in the American Indian community where, where our women have been uh, sterilized um, against their will, and not just American Indian, but I believe the Latinx community suffered from these uh, atrocities also in large metropolitan areas such as Chicago and L.A. Um, so, you know, for many of our communities of color, there's a, a distrust. And I know that we talked about that distrust and whether or not that would impact our various community members from stepping forward and and getting vaccinated. But I think that, you know, now we're down that road, we're two, three months into this. I'm fully vaccinated, uh, the Mille Lacs Band. Uh, I'm a member of the Mille Lacs Band. And the tribes had the opportunity to uh, get their vaccines through the Indian Health Service or through the state. And uh, thank God uh, the tribe decided to go through the Indian Health Service. My own, I guess, um, 
ear to the ground type of thing would would inform me that many who had the opportunity to get vaccinated did. And um, so I was wondering how the rest of you feel, and, and especially you, Mr. Moore, uh, since you are on the on uh, you work in that area, uh, what are you hearing in terms of how our communities are responding to the uh, vaccination effort? You know, uh, uh, the course of communities are, are are challenged by you know the idea of why to get vaccinated. You know, who's getting vaccinated first? Uh, I think you mentioned in your comments uh, uh, you used the word distrust, but I would suggest that we've had an untrustworthy healthcare system. On an on, on untrustworthy public health system, and many of our community members are responding to that. You know, I think about our healthcare system and uh, where we're at today. Uh, there are barriers by design, right? There, are, uh, and so we, we we talk in the context in our racial equ equity work that racism is by design, right? Uh, and so if you if you see it really profoundly in healthcare, the way it's funded, the way uh, it's structured, it's capitalistic nature, uh, and who it's designed for. Uh, next, I think we have uh, this uh, this thing in healthcare that's still challenging many folks in our community that it doesn't recognize your identity, your culture, your linguistic needs, because again, it's not designed uh, to affirm you, to be congruent uh, with you uh, as an individual. Uh, and so it creates an exclusionary culture in healthcare that's not only in the walls of healthcare, but it's in how healthcare is promoted, how healthcare uh, vaccines are created, right? And how we seek to engage communities in, uh, in that work. So uh, as a quick response, I would start suggest that healthcare has been untrustworthy. Our communities are trying hard to trust uh, a healthcare system that has so many barriers. Uh, there is hesitancy as a fact, that's true, valid hesitancy. But more importantly, I don't know if healthcare as an industry is doing its part to reach into communities appropriately in diverse ways to engage folks in a dialogue around the importance of the vaccination. Well, you know that that um, I, you know all all statistics um, were pointing that COVID nineteen was disproportionately impacting the African-American Black community, the American Indian community, and the uh, Latino community. Communities of color were getting hit hard. And other than the tribes who, you know, many of the tribes decided to get their vaccines through the Indian Health Service. Um, but other than the tribes, I have not heard of uh, success in reaching those other populations in terms of getting vaccinations. I mean, it seemed logical that when the vaccinations first came out, that the people who were dying at higher rates would get vaccinated first. And from my understanding, that's not happening. Is, is that correct? At our organization, at Minnesota Community Care, we get a chance to serve about 40,000 patients. Uh, most of those folks, oh, 90 plus percent are from marginalized communities, diverse BIPOC communities. Um, uh, because of our health equity mission, we center uh, our vaccination efforts and prioritize those our, our communities first. We've also championed that with the state, with the Minnesota Department of Health and, and the governor's office to say uh, communities with less need to be vaccinated first. And the state has responded. 
I would say the state's current efforts were are a really good attempt at that because in every phase of the vaccination program, community health centers were at the front line in most communities have been prioritized first. We also are participating in the Biden vaccine program. So we were the first and only institution to be named in the, in the vaccine program from President Biden. And so that program specifically targets communities of color and, and is looking to accelerate access to the vaccination from a federal level to our communities. And so uh, right now, uh, I think we're being prioritized. I think prior to uh, a month ago, it would have been hard to say that, right? Uh, I think our prior administration, the prior narrative uh, was not focused well enough on communities of color. Now, is it working is another question, right? Uh, I think we're still using traditional approaches uh, in the medical model, um, uh, in the dominant kind of colonial um, uh, uh, advocacy approaches uh, that feels paternal uh, in, in the approach, and it's not as successful. And I, there's a lot of things we need to do and rethink as we look to engage communities with communities in promoting the vaccine uh, and, in, and in rebuilding the trust that's been broken uh, by healthcare systems, institutions, and the public and the public uh, health entities. Ruben, I'm so glad that you pointed out the partnership with uh, community health clinics because that really is, I think, uh, a key factor in ensuring that our BIPOC community have access to it. In January, uh, NPR uh, issued a, a report, a segment I should say, that covered uh, discussion with the racial equity and health policy program at the Kaiser Family Foundation, where th that group has been tracking vaccinations and disparities, racial disparities and the application rates. And at that point, there were only 17 states that reported tracking data based on race and ethnicity. And Minnesota is not a state that's included in those 17 states. Um, and what at that time, of course, is that similar to what you and Don have been saying thus far is the, we know that COVID positive tests and just contracting the COVID virus have disproportionately hit our communities um, within the BIPOC segments but the vaccinations have been a fraction. So for instance, one example that in Minnesota, in Mississippi rather, 15% of the vaccinations had been received by black people while they accounted for 38% of the coronavirus cases and 42% of the deaths in the state. I mean, these are very drastic disparities that should be an alarm to us all as a community nationally, right? And we really need to be intentional about disrupting those systemic barriers that are intrinsic in the healthcare system, as you noted, that's really based on a capitalistic model. If folks don't have the means, they don't have access. And most folks are still thinking that in order to get vaccinated, they need to have insurance. I mean, that's a narrative that I keep hearing in community, not only locally, but outside of our state when I speak to friends and family members that say, well, I can't get my vaccine because I don't have insurance. They're asking us for insurance. I've, I've been in, I've been involved in this from the standpoint of the church. So, you know, being on the ministerial staff um, at an AME church, an African Methodist Episcopal church, one of the things that young folks have been, have become is runners. 
um, there's this unofficial network, you know, where nurses and community friends that I've got, they're telling us, you know, they'll call me up or they'll text me or my wife or, or one of the folks and the members and say, hey, we've got X many vaccines that need to get into the arms. Who do you have that hasn't been vaccinated yet? And we're going and we're grabbing elders. We're grabbing, you know, folks in the in the primary categories and get, trying to get them up to these places as quick as possible who many of whom haven't gone there for the very reasons that you you shared loose and then even elders who have um health who have not only healthcare but affiliation with primary care providers um who are still not vaccinated and just we haven't been able to close that loop and there's there's all kinds of reasons that they cite and then we also hear from the nurses in this network on of these unofficial networks that the majority of their day, they're seeing white folks from outside of the neighborhoods in which they actually are serving. And towards the end of the day, that's when they start seeing people of color. And they're just, and now there's like five or 10 lists that are just roaming around where as soon as we know that there's either a spot, an opening, or some vaccines that need to get used, this list calls out. And, and I've got my list of folks on, you know, from the church who, uh, who are in the category who haven't been vaccinated yet. And I'm just calling them and I'm dragging them <laughs> to get up there. And so I'm seeing, as you lay out these numbers, I'm seeing it from the kind of community organizing side of, of trying to get vaccines to folks. Uh, my wife and I were able to get vaccinated after a run when somebody was like, well, we, we can't, we have to use these vaccines and there's no one else here. You come in here and get it. <laughs> and so when we got our first round, which is great because once we get our second, we can really turn around after that two week period and really be, you know, get the drag, the drag folks to the, to the clinics. But I'm seeing these gaps play out. It's amazing how many of the, of the folks that are in the category to get vaccinated right now that are still haven't figured out a way to get there to the point of even the community churches who've opened up as vaccine centers, uh, Mount Olivet, Shiloh, a few other places. Like if, if it wasn't for those sites, many of the folks on my list wouldn't have wouldn't be taking any steps at this moment. And so it's just fascinating to see it from the from the kind of street side. I think for me, I mean, we have been trying to to get my parents in and my grandmother and the issue that we've really come across was I mean, with the the systems in place at, at the state and whatnot. First is that it's 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 hard for older folks to get online and fill out all the forms and know how to navigate. And, you know, the links are at gov slash nine, five, four, whatever, 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 to find to try to get onto the website. And then um, even then there was, there wasn't this option of um, folks who are caretakers for the elderly, which we see a lot in our communities of color, right? Is um, they're asking if you were a child care provider, if you were a teacher, and I'm looking at this going, uh, no, but I'm a caretaker for an, an elderly person. And that wasn't one of the options. And it really frustrated me um, because I, I wanted to try to get, you know, us as caretakers that live in intergenerational households to try to get on that list. And, and it wasn't an option. I mean, I was just going to reaffirm what I what Hilly was saying, and because I, I was hearing the same thing. In fact, there was a, a friend of mine, you know, that um, lives lives in my community here, and she posted on her her Facebook page um, how privileged she was to be able to get her husband on the list to get him vaccinated. 
And so she just wrote out and she had like 15 different items that she had in her life that allowed that to happen. And one of them was the time to sit on a computer and go through all the different sites finding a location. She found a location in Owatonna. She was able to get that, but then she listed in order to get to Owatonna, you need a car that runs, you need to have gas, or you need to have resources to get gas. You need to have the time or be able to, the ability to get the time to make the trip to, I mean, she just listed all these things that had to be in place to do that. And I've heard from others who were like you, Hali, because we're part of that generation where we still might be raising kids and taking care of our parents. And there was no option for them to sign up as caretakers because there are many of their parents that are in their 80s in their 80s and 90s who still haven't been vaccinated because they can't navigate that those systems. And um you know and I, and I think that that raises all kind of cuz even with even with the fact that I've been vaccinated and I got my first shot in early January. I think the first week in January. So when I got that first shot, I was dealing with a little guilt you know, a little, you know, because I was feeling very fortunate that I was being able to get in to get vaccinated. But at the same time, in order for that to happen, I had to drive up to the Mille Lacs Band Reservation, right? So that, that was an hour drive, hour and a half drive, 100 miles north. I had to get up there. So for band members who who don't have reliable transportation, how were they getting vaccinated? I would have loved to have volunteered to bring people up, but this is during COVID, right? So I'm not going to have someone that I don't know exactly what their status is get in my car and then drive them up to because I could get COVID on the way to go get my shot. I mean, so, you know, there's all that kind of anxiety and all those kind of issues. One of the, the things that have come up in my circle of network is uh, friends who are volunteering to do exactly what uh, Hali was talking about, which is volunteering to help community members get online and help them register for the vaccine and then simplify it for them. Because you can do that remotely and, and you don't have to worry about interacting with someone face-to-face rather than going as a canvasser that you go door-to-door helping people, right? And so that's an idea for our listeners, I think, for folks who are looking for opportunities to help and be of service during this time of need is begin to put yourself out as a resource that can, you have a computer at home, you have good connection, you can arrange to begin to help folks navigate that registration process and get them closer to the opportunity to, to get vaccinated. Let's not forget the hood networks um, because, you know, I, I see all those channels, but I've also got folks who are like, look, 
We're organizing, we're organizing lists. We've got these connections to different folks. You just get me their names and we'll get them an appointment and we'll get them a schedule. And then we'll tell you when it is so that you can organize your driving, your drivers to get folks there. Like it's, it has gotten down to that level, um, in, 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 in my circles. And, and I'm, I'm curious because, um, and I'm, and I'm really curious, Ruben, where, where, what you're seeing at the, at the state advisory, because I haven't encountered in, in, amongst the the elderly population in my group resistance to the vaccine a lot of that discussion has been younger folks who have actually been having that conversation the folks in the category getting vaccinated i haven't heard a peep out of them about scared of vaccine they all want to get it so i'm just curious about and that's just my own you know bubble but i'm just curious what how that's showing up in other folks communities you know thank you uh, you know anthony that's a really good question so first of all I, you know we I think each of us kind of really talked heavily about barriers by design. There's so many barriers by design. We talked a lot about representation matters and who is that individual communicating, connecting with individuals in the communities, in the clinic uh, that can uh, that can affirm their experience and speak their language, whether it be uh, linguistically congruent, culturally congruent individuals in the community who can connect. Uh, and also healthcare outside our walls. We have to rethink about our healthcare system that we got to change it, right? Healthcare happens everywhere. It happens at the church. It happens at the barbershop. Healthcare happens at the grocery store. And how do we think about, you know, uh, providing the vaccine or providing information or connecting the resources outside of the walls of the traditional legacy healthcare institutions? At the state level, as we think about uh, individuals of a certain age and kind of the first wave, you're right. Many of our, our, our seniors and uh, just wanted to get back to see their families, right? And so you saw a lot less hesitancy, and but we still had the same barriers to access. Really, you know, they, it's already COVID, right? You can't do a telehealth vaccine visit. You got to get to the clinic. And so there's still traditional wealth barriers, transportation barriers, time barriers. We got clinics that are open from eight to five. Some folks work, right? And so they get off at five, right? And so there's still areas that we need to examine those those natural healthcare barriers um, um, uh, by design to accessing care. As we think about our young folks, I had a chance to do countless uh, town halls, uh, you know, with different community members, the Black um, uh, Civic Network, and these were college students, and they lit me on fire, hmm. right? Uh, about that, you know, we do not trust the system, yeah. right? <laughs> Uh, we do not trust you, Ruben. You don't represent us uh, anymore. And then I, then I said, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's put on, go put on that Dipsy hustle. <laughs> <laughs> and let's talk about the vaccine in the context of protecting our community. Go put on that meek meal. Let me put on some pock. I'm gonna show, I'm aligned, right? But the representation matter. They wanted to know not only do I look like them, but do I affirm the culture? Do I affirm the perspective, right? That you know what? Uh, my generation, the generation prior to me, left our young folks with a bag of mess, right? A racially divided country, a country uh, with a fragmented and fractured and a hard to access healthcare system, a country with an underperforming uh, public school and education system, huge wealth disparities and divides in every community, right? And when you think about Minnesota, and I know folks find this hard to hear, we're the Mississippi of the North, mm. not only in education, but in healthcare, home ownership, economics, wealth disparities, you name the topic, we are Mississippi, right? And so to think about all the things you all discussed, we gotta get creative, right? Healthcare has to come outside our walls. We have to think about 
how we reconnect to communities and that representation matters and the dollars have to flow to community organizations non-traditional institutions that can help get folks vaccinated and help bridge that communication gap that engagement gap that trust gap uh in communities for to touch all members of all ages whether it be Hmong, latinx uh black or indigenous uh, and we have to continue to look at the barriers in that healthcare has created by being untrustworthy, by being capitalistic and thinking about deconstructing them. I wanna talk about a story because I just interviewed a new board candidate. And this board candidate is actually of European descent. And the board candidate shared with me that her father, right? Uh, uh, who lives on the East side could not, did not wanna go in and get the vaccination because they owed us a bill. Mm. They owed us, he, he owed us a $20 bill. And you're right, we're a community health center. So we don't collect. That's what he wants, right? But because it's so ingrained in the thinking of folks in our country that healthcare is a capitalistic model, for he was scared to come get his vaccination because he thought he'd have to pay that $20 bill. There's something wrong with healthcare in America. And it's not just uh, in, in our clinics, it's not just um, it's, it's not just in our, you know, from the concept of how it's funded or the way the institutions are built, it's built, it's it's something wrong with our, our racialized institutions inside of healthcare and beyond that and in capitalism and how that impacts communities. You know, that's, this is fascinating. Um, you know, I was, I was just thinking, I was sitting, I was on one of the runs and we were sitting outside of Mount Olivet church and there were brothers who were lined up for those who, <laughs> for those who are listening to counter stories for the first time and may not be aware. Oftentimes in the African-American community, we have a referent of brother um, as as a signification that we're talking, I'm talking about black men. Just let me go ahead and do that that little PSA. So there's brothers sitting outside of Mount Olivet, and they had um, boxes of food because the same population that is we're having trouble getting to vaccines are also a, a population that is having trouble getting accessing food resources. I mean, we just we just had a, a church food drive in partnership with the Labor Federation. We gave out 1,300 boxes of food in four hours. I mean, it was, it's, it's, it's amazing. And these are folks, there was no pattern to the cars. And that was the same in Mount Olivet for the vaccine. They were hoopties next to benzos <laughs> and still folks were showing up and, and they tied these two together and got some folks out that way. And so as I hear you talk about these different ways in which we connect to the ways of being in the reality of folks on the ground, I was able to see that firsthand and see all these lines of cars of all these folks who are taking their family members to come get vaccinated, right? And all the things that it, that it, that it took to, to get there. And then these brothers just shoving food in the car saying, look, you may not need it, but take it. And then folks realizing later, you know, I really did need that. So, you know, I'm curious about the, the what may be on the horizon since you're part of this task force. Like, what are some of the creative ways that you are thinking of just breaking them traditional avenues? Uh, we've opened up some of the barriers to access. So, for instance, uh, essential workers can get vaccinated right now. Uh, a family member who's driving you to a grandma or a, a, a community member to get vaccinated can get vaccinated as well. Uh, we have uh, we, we brought the age categories down, uh, I think, all the way to 45 because uh, we recognize that in most communities of color, 65 plus gets a little rare if you look at any healthcare data. We're such educated folks, but we, but we sometimes we have this huge cognitive dissonance, right? Uh, um, and so, you know, the lifespan of many of our folks in our community is a little shorter, 
right? That's so deep. now uh, improving that, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of broadening that access. And then many more, if you have comorbidities, you can get access to the vaccination. So we've broadened and at the governor, at the governor level, from his two has done his part. Uh, now it's still the hard stuff that happens in communities, right? How are we, are we willing to change our hours of operations? Are we willing mm. to, to think about non-traditional marketing groups? I remember I worked on, early in my healthcare career, I worked on Target Market. Uh, Target Market was a counter tobacco campaign. And yes, Target Market yes. did different. Some folks remember it. They gave kids money. Kids money to go market in uh, jobs to market and tell other youth to, set, to, uh, to stop smoking. The most powerful campaign in the history, counter-marketing public health campaign in the history of our country. It was many other states did similar campaigns. They shut it down, pulled the money because of its effectiveness. Because mm. what they found out is that kids, young people, community folks aren't listening to the polished public health over-educated individual as their credence, uh, their credible authority. Instead, they trust folks that look like them, affirmed to them, their neighbor, their community member, their church pastor, uh, their reverend, uh, their shaman, you know, uh, their, their musician, their influencer. And that is so non-traditional. And it takes away from the institutions who are, and the institutional leaders who believe that they are the trusted, they are the only trusted source. It deconstructs models of colonialism, models of hegemony that challenge that challenge the status quo. And we need to continue to be thoughtful about that. What you will see is that in our new education campaigns, we, I don't need more ads on CARE 11 News. That is ineffective for folks of color, right? For BIPOC communities. I need more dollars at the youth group uh, next door to the YMCA that gets no funding, but they got a bunch of kids that they're drawing on walls Right. Rapping. Right. Right. Doing back. <laughs> uh, because they're going to go get when they get out and tell grandma, I want you to get vaccinated. Grandma's going to cry or mom. I need you to get vaccinated. Mom's going to cry because that young person comes to you and, and, and holds you accountable. Their influence is far greater than any public health advertisement. Ruben, when you talk about distrust, you know, you're exactly right. The distrust is there for all the reasons you noted. And then there are some just deeper distrust in community. And I'm going to talk about the Latinx community in particular, uh, and folks are unauthorized. Uh, they have an unauthorized status in community. So they are fearing that by registering for a vaccination, that their personal information may be used to deport them. So that's a completely a unique segment of our population here in Minnesota and across the country that needs to be addressed in a unique way where we can provide the assurances that this is not going to be the data that's going to be shared with any any other governmental agency or entity, whether it's local law enforcement or state officials or federal officials. That's a big bridge to cross. And the in my mind, the way to cross it is exactly what you're saying is leveraging trust in community, leveraging the leaders that are already in community, much like what Anthony said as well, leveraging the trusted institutions that are within our community that can be the best promoters of that. Uh, and then the other thing that I just want to ask you to make clear for our listeners is regarding vaccinations. Do you need to have health insurance to be able to go in and get vaccinated for COVID-19? 
you know, you don't need anything. You don't need help. I didn't think so, but I want you to say that out loud. I want you to say it nice and loud for us. Yeah. We don't need health insurance. You don't need a penny, a dollar. It's got to get there and get on a list. It's so important for our community folks to do that. I know it feels risky, but um, get on a list and get vaccinated. It's so important. We want to get to a new normal. I want to get back to my, I'm trying to get back to the state fair. I'm trying to get back to my next Beyonce concert. Right. I want to go. I, you know, I do like basketball, football. My daughter is an artist. So I want to get back to her art shows. You know, there's so many ways that makes it important. And, you know, and, and, you know, for me, it's a it's a big deal this year. You know, I lost my COVID to so COVID-19. I lost a cousin who was a bus driver uh, right away to COVID-19 in Chicago. And so, for instance, the, the governor passed uh, the, the his recent executive order allows uh, bus drivers, essential workers, folks who are transporting uh, individuals to uh, to be able to get the vaccine. I lost my father. Didn't know much about him, but I carry his ashes now in my home. Right to COVID nineteen. Right, and I wish the vaccine would have been available to him. You know, money is not the barrier. We want folks to dig deep in their why, find a reason why they should do it, and influence some and bring someone along to get the vaccination. I was just saying that that proximity to folks actually affected, actual loss. I mean, uh, I, I, that's a very poignant point that I think isn't stressed enough. One of the reasons why we have, um, it's really real for our communities is that we are in greater proximity to folks who are dying from the disease. I've lost four family members. Um, Don, we lost your mother, um, you know, to COVID. And, 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 and so I, I think it can't be stressed enough that our proximity makes the game very different for us. And which gives me no qualms about getting a call from a nurse at a clinic to say, look, I ain't seen black folks all day. Who can you get up here? I will make sure they get in today. Like that, that, that can't be underscored, you know, enough. And so I really thank you for bringing that point up. When uh, Ruben was talking about, uh, you're, you're so right. We're not going to get the message on WCCO or, or CARE 11 uh, for the American Indian community. You go down to the powwow grounds because that's where everybody hangs out, at least Everybody in the community, that's how the word gets out. I found out about Native American Community Clinic over in Minneapolis. and um, But it is through word of mouth. I've worked on several projects in Hmong and um, in Spanish um, to, and Somali to try to get the word out about, you know, what COVID was. Um, my grandmother is with me this week. And so I have Hmong TV on for her all day. And I've heard ads in Hmong about it. Um, not necessarily about vaccines, but just about COVID. And so hopefully, you know, the, doing that outreach into our communities in our languages um, is something that we'll be seeing more of, especially, you know, as more vaccines are being released. There's got to be um, uh, outreach effort. There's got to be a steady message that lets those individuals know that are here in an undocumented uh, status that you can go in and get vaccinated and not worry about having that information shared. You know, I think, you know, it's it's those kind of messages that need to go out to community uh, so that they can overcome those fears. And that's a legitimate fear. We just went through four years of an administration where that wouldn't have happened. The more outreach that we do amongst ourselves with our own in our own communities will really help improve um, 
and hopefully uh, get more people. Because even in my own family, right, um, you know, Mar and I are, are vaccinated, but, you know, my son is, uh, you know, he's he's kind of heen and hawing about going in and, and, and uh, you know, what can you do, right? You know, it, it, it's his decision. And then I have an 18-year-old that's at the University of Iowa who I think will will want to get vaccinated, but how do how does she get from Iowa up to the Mille Lacs, Bannerville, Jibwe Indians to get that shot? So you know there are still barriers that you know as a parent that um, caregiver and everything else that you know we still have loved ones that we're we're trying to ensure that uh, we get them vaccinated. So. Um, well, Don, don't worry. Me and Lee will take a road trip. We'll snatch up Gabby and we'll get her up there. <laughs> well, but first, y'all got to get me the vaccine, okay? Then I will true. go with that's you. That's true. <laughs> so I want to ask a quick question of Ruben. What gives you hope as we, as we go down this path of increasing access to vaccinations? What gives you hope? And, and what, what would be your vision as to how we, we can best optimize the most out of these opportunities. What gives me hope is that we have now a country willing to talk about the healthcare inequities and disparities uh, and racial inequities uh, associated with colonialism in a real way. And that the vaccine program to date is doing its best to try to try to bridge a gap uh, in terms of those historical inequities and lived experiences today. Uh, that are highly racialized. And so, I, you know, that gives me a lot of hope. We have access to enough vaccines for all of you now. I think many of you could qualify and you can come to Minnesota Community Care and get vaccinated. So we had access to vaccines. We still got a challenge in, in the barriers to access and the representation, kind of who's vaccinating who, right? Getting people of color staffed in clinics, uh, uh, getting a, a non-traditional ways to reach folks and kind of taking healthcare outside our walls. But we're talking about it. And I think that in our state, I think that I see a new perspective forming, a new paradigm forming. And hopefully it becomes a trend around the country where folks are willing to lean into communities of color and put those who've historically been put last uh, first. We've had, uh, I think, a very good discussion today. I think, you know, we, we, we've touched on many different uh, topic points that I think are important for our community. I, I'm Don Eubanks, Associate Professor of Social Work at Metropolitan State University and Cultural Consultant. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the State of Minnesota. Any comments and thoughts that I've shared are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer or my office. Anthony Galloway, Senior Partner at Dendros Group and Executive Director of the Arts Us Center for the African Diaspora. I'm Holly Lee, owner of the Other Media Group and producer of this show. And our website is up. Yay! So you can find this show and our previous shows at counterstories.com. And our special guest, uh, I'm Ruben Moore with Minnesota Community Care, President and Executive Officer. Please check out the MDH website if you want to learn more about the vaccination program and partnership with MDH and the federal government. It's amazing things happening in our state and go ahead and get vaccinated. This program is a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the other media group, and Amphers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com.